0: Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network, at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 21st of February, 2022, the 20th of Adar, Aleph 5782. Hope you are well. Hope you are safe in your part of the world. Sorry I was not with you last Monday. I was actually traveling, visiting the folks in the U.S., unable to record my uh, weekly podcast here on the Land of Israel Network, so I apologize for that. Don't forget, you can always get in touch with me during the week, josh at thelandofisrael.com, on Facebook, Joshua Haston or Josh Haston Israel Journalism, that is my page, on Instagram and on Twitter as well. The top, st- uh, the top story around the world right now is the situation with Russia and the Ukraine, uh, Russia perhaps on the verge of an invasion of the Ukraine amassing up to 30,000 troops on the border there, according to NATO. And for our purposes, the question is, what is Israel's position in regard to Russia and the Ukraine? How come Israel has not been more vocal against Russia or a potential Russian invasion? And I really think that Herb Kanan in today's Jerusalem Post, did an excellent job explaining the delicate balance in regard to Israel's positions, and I'll read some of his analysis here on the front page of today's paper, and it starts with U.S. Vice President uh, Kamala Harris saying at the Munich Security Conference uh, yesterday, let me be clear. Said the vice president, I can say with absolute certainty, if Russia further invades Ukraine, the United States, together with our allies and partners, will impose significant and unprecedented economic costs. Israel, of course, being a strong ally of the United States. Uh, And Herb says here, the U.S. has few allies and partners around the world who feel as close to it as Israel. So will Jerusalem be expected to follow Washington's suit and join in these sanctions? If it did, this would significantly significantly complicate Jerusalem's relationship with Russia, something that the U.S., as an ally of Israel, has little interest in seeing. The last thing anyone for whom stability in the Middle East is important wants to see is Russian and Israeli planes clashing over Syrian skies. So that is the the critical issue here, is the situation vis-a-vis Syria, with Russia being a major player in Syria, and Israel, of course, taking the necessary steps it must to defend itself against Syrian or Iranian aggression coming out of Syria. So Israel has to uh, has to keep it uh, very very delicate, very very sensitive. This entire issue of Russia versus the Ukraine. Again, the last thing anyone, for whom stability in the Middle East is important, wants to see uh, are Russian and Israeli planes clashing over Syrian skies. Israel joining unprecedentedly tough sanctions against Russia could conceivably lead to just that, since it could spell the end of the deconfliction mechanism between Moscow and Jerusalem that has been in place since Russia moved into Syria in 2015. So the sides have obviously been in communication so that Israel does not mistakenly shoot at Russian forces and vice versa there. So that's something important to keep in mind. So far, the U.S. has demonstrated understanding of Israel's situation and there have been no public calls from Washington for Israel to take sides in the conflict. According to this analysis, the U.S. understands why Israel cannot forcefully uh, side with the Ukraine here and it has to do with Syria. However, Herb Cannon points out here, but as things heat up in the Ukraine, this position may change. One of Israel's main diplomatic challenges, therefore, will be the need to remind the U.S. of Israel's sensitive position vis-a-vis Russia and to ensure that Washington does not press Jerusalem to join the, quote, mother of all sanctions that Washington may unleash if Putin invades is southwestern neighbor. So Israel has to tell the line here, has to be extremely careful, and hopefully the U.S. will maintain this position of not calling on Israel to take sides in this conflict and not calling on Israel to join in the mother of all sanctions. Now, that's a situation with the U.S., uh, sorry, with the Ukraine and Russia. So it's interesting, just thinking out loud here, especially since I want to talk about Iran, um, how the U.S. is so forcefully committed to implementing sanctions against Russia here if they should invade the Ukraine. But on the issue of Iran, the U.S., it seems, has been doing and is doing everything possible to remove sanctions. Um... Levied against Iran by former President Donald Trump in order to encourage them to accept the bad nuclear deal or return to the bad nuclear deal, which was introduced in 2015. Interesting. Interesting how the U.S. on one hand wants to implement sanctions on Russia, but with Iran, the biggest sponsor of terror. In the world, the U.S. is doing everything possible to lift those sanctions in order to appease the mullahs. Now, JNS reported today that Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett told a visiting delegation of American Jewish leaders on Sunday that Israel will not accept Iran as a nuclear threshold state statements to the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations delivered in English ahead of Israel's primetime evening news last night and geared towards an international audience were made ahead of the expected signing of a new nuclear agreement between Iran and world powers in Vienna. Don't you remember there was like eight rounds, if not more, of negotiations to try to get Iran back into the fold in terms of a nuclear agreement. Maybe this will be called a different nuclear agreement, but it's uh, it seems to be more of the same bad deal which the world powers signed with Iran in 2015. According to Prime Minister Bennett, the emergent deal is highly likely to create a violent, volatile Middle East. Yet despite the challenging situation in which world powers are now placing Israel, Bennett asserted, quote, let me be clear, one way or another, I have no doubt that Israel will prevail over whatever circumstances we face. Um, The Jerusalem Post today adding that nuclear negotiations may soon end with a deal that is insufficiently tough on Iran. This, of course, according to Prime Minister Bennett, he said the apparent new deal is shorter and weaker than the previous one. Since the original deal was signed, two things happened, said the Prime Minister. The Iranians advanced their enrichment capabilities very much, and time has passed. In two and a half years, Iran will will be able and entitled to develop and install advanced centrifuges without restrictions. Stadiums full of centrifuges, according to the agreement. This is again, this is if Iran keeps to the letter of the deal. In return, the Iranians will, at present, receive tens of billions of dollars and have sanctions removed. In the end, said the Prime Minister, the money will reach terror in the region. That terrorism endangers us and other countries in the region, as we saw recently, and will also endanger American forces in the region. Israel is prepared to protect its citizens' security, on its own in any scenario so not only will israel be endangered by this deal but u.s troops will be endangered by this deal in the region we've seen the iranian proxies time after time after time whether in lebanon or in yemen or any other hamas or any other places in the middle east we've seen them carry out unprecedented terror attacks in this region and around the world and yet yet the u.s and other Western powers prepared to lift sanctions on Iran and return to this very bad deal, or to this, if you want to call it a new deal, which is just as bad as the other one and falls well short of Israeli expectations. Israel prepared to act alone. We've talked about this time and time again on this program. And Um, This administration in Washington still just doesn't get it. Still going down this road towards Iran, being able to achieve its nuclear capabilities, enhance or expand its ballistic missile capabilities, all all within the deal, not even breaking the deal. I mean, they won't honor the deal, but even if they do, they are on the path towards nuclear weapons, and Israel will have to act alone. That is the bottom line. It should. It, it seems right now, the way things are playing out. But you know where the U.S. is is really focused on right now. It's the settlements, of course, so-called settlements, the communities of Judea and Samaria. You have uh, Thomas Nides here, U.S. ambassador according to the Jerusalem Post, saying he's willing to meet with settlers, so-called settler people like myself, who live in Gush Etzion or or in other areas of Judea and Samaria, but he's not going to visit any settlements because it is symbolically harmful. So visiting Jews in Judea is symbolically harmful. By the way, Nides had no problem visiting the Western Wall, which, by the way, is considered to be in so-called East Jerusalem. That apparently is kosher. But to talk to Israelis who live in the heartland of this country, in Judea and Samaria, he's not willing to visit these areas. I don't know, is it an ego thing? He thinks that if he visits them, it's going to spark World War III. I mean, this type of defeatist mentality you know, the, these are the people who said that the U.S. should not move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because it would spark a world war or a war, at least in the Middle East, which did not happen. This defeatist and weak mentality, which is, which we're seeing time and time again from the administration in Washington. Um, That is the reality, but that is not the way you do business in the Middle East. Showing weakness is a victory for the terrorists. It's a victory for Hamas. It's a victory for the Palestinian Authority. He's handing them a victory on a silver platter, delegitimizing the communities of Judea and Samaria. And here we have the U.S. reverting back to its prior policy, which was in place before The Trump administration made all those major changes recognized under the Pompeo doctrine that Judea and Samaria were not illegal occupied settlements, that they were part of the land of Israel. And Nides, at least, I wonder if he's willing to go to the Jerusalem neighborhood of Gilo or Har Choma, which are viewed by the international community erroneously as illegal occupied settlements. I wonder if he goes to those areas, he goes to the Western Wall, but he will not visit Gush Etzion, he will not visit Bet El Shiloh, the historic heartland of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. Not for him. He doesn't want to aggravate anybody, as he says. But does he not realize that simply by being Jewish, that aggravates a lot of people? We'll get to our weekly anti-Semitism report. So, again, weakness from the administration, self-defeatism, and really discrimination uh, against a certain group of people, the Jews, because of their geography. doesn't want to ruffle any feathers, which is absolutely ridiculous. However, at the same time, we have our own government, at least certain members of our own government here in Israel, also taking issue with the so-called settlers, the residents of Judea and Samaria. Uh, Nitzan Horowitz, our health minister, uh, saying that settler violence is a, quote, national strategic threat. Now, to me, Iran is a national strategic threat, um, not a very small group of wayward youth who carry out attacks often after instigation by anarchists and extremists who come to Jewish communities and disturb the Sabbath on a weekly basis. And that's exactly what happens. So the very, very few youth who do respond, uh, they are a national strategic threat, according to our own health minister, The Efrat, this also reported by the Jerusalem Post, Efrat Council Head Oded Ravivi said it was unfortunate that the health minister had not battled for the country's health with the same determination that he fought against his brothers, the settlers. And again, I don't like that term, but Ravivi making it clear who he was talking about, saying that Horowitz, I guess referring to the coronavirus, didn't battle that as hard or as strong or as forcefully as he is now battling what he calls a national strategic threat, Jews in Judea. Ravivi said, violence in any form, in any place, in any society is a threat, adding that there were more violent civilian attacks in Israeli cities than there were nationalistic crimes in Judea and Samaria. In other words, Horowitz is blowing this way out of proportion. This isn't a national strategic threat. This is basically putting an umbrella, um, as the U.S. ambassador is doing, over an entire group of people, stigmatizing Jews who live in Judea, and putting these blanket blanket statements out. A national strategic threat, really? Uh, This is preposterous, ridiculous. Go focus on Iran. Go focus on the coronavirus, and leave The residents of Judea and Samaria alone stop the obsession. Don't join the ranks of the U.S. ambassador or the New York Times or anyone else, Amnesty International, who are obsessed with the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. But apparently that's that's where the mind is of our health minister currently. Very, very sad indeed. Some positive news here. Also on the front page of today's J-Post, all tourists testing negative to be allowed into Israel from March 1st. Tourists of all ages will be allowed into the country regardless of vaccination status starting on March 1st, subject to a negative PCR test before takeoff and after landing, Prime Minister Bennett said on Sunday. The new plan will also end isolation policies for unvaccinated Israelis entering the country subject to a negative PCR test upon arrival furthermore israelis entering the country will no longer be required to perform an antigen or pcr test ahead of their flight only upon arrival again starting march 1st basically um, other than that uh, pcr test either before takeoff uh, and on arrival depending on people's status Uh, the bottom line here is that israel's finally opening its borders Please God, the tour, in, tourism industry will rebound after two very, very difficult years. March first, if you're out there contemplating a trip to Israel, now's the time to book. Again, I, I mentioned I was in the in the States in the US last week, and actually my flight back on El Al from New York was packed. So the tourists are starting to come back, restrictions are being lifted. Maybe this is the end. Maybe this is the beginning of the end of this uh, pandemic, at least this wave. Uh, and please, God, the tourists will return to Israel. We really, really depend on tourism in this country. And hopefully this is, uh, this is going to continue. March 1st, folks, get your tickets. Come visit Israel. Uh, come home to Israel. Um, if you're contemplating Aliyah, Let's let's do it, folks. Let's get on that flight. Let's get on that LL or the airline of your choosing and come home to Israel. I know that uh, according to Times of Israel, dozens of new immigrants actually from the Ukraine arrived in Israel on Sunday, around 75 immigrants, another 22 scheduled to land later Were uh, scheduled to land later in the day. And uh, to be clear, uh, this was a a pre-planned trip uh, to immigrate to Israel for these 75 individuals, it did not have anything to do with the current crisis, although uh, these people were very, very happy, according to this Times of Israel report, that they were able to get out of the Ukraine when they did. When the plane took off, according to Gidey Shemmerling of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, which organized the flight, He said uh, there was great applause. The immigrants were tense in the hours before departure. I'm sure they were. Again, it was a pre-planned trip or an immigration to Israel. By these 75, they had planned to make Aliyah, but very, very good timing for for them. If, in fact, all hell breaks loose, if war erupts there between Russia and the Ukraine. I mentioned before we were going to get to the weekly anti-Semitism report. In this case it uh it comes from Manhattan. That's right. Manhattan, the bastion of economics in the United States, New York open to all peoples, right? They come in all shapes and sizes and colors and religions and races and nationalities. And every everyone is so open in Manhattan and New York. Um apparently uh things are Troubling for the Jews and Manhattan as well. We've talked about other boroughs, but Manhattan is no different. An Israeli-owned eatery, according to Ynet, uh, has been defaced with anti-Semitic graffiti last week, sparking wide condemnation from local politicians and diplomats. On Thursday, workers were surprised to find the restaurant had been daubed with the words, F the Jews, several times. Um, Very sad to see this, said Rafael the owner and chef of a restaurant called Miriam on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, brand new restaurant. But uh his property to face there with F Jews, you can fill in the blanks there, it was written several times. I saw images there from Manhattan. This is not uh, as bad as it is uh, in Europe or in other places uh throughout the US. This is Manhattan and in Manhattan there are people there who are saying f the jews so that is this week's weekly anti-semitism update and again i'm sure i could go online and find many more instances of anti-semitism around the world new york police department have launched a crime investigation into the incident finishing up with two positive stories here an israeli farmer has grown the heaviest strawberry ever recorded according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, The strawberry, weighing 289 grams, 7 inches long, 13 inches in circumference, was developed by Israel's Volcani Institute and planted and harvested by, uh, I think his name is uh, Shachi Ariel. I think that's the farmer. Strawberry was, was grown and picked last year, Ariel told Reuters. The family... Um, photographed the fruit, and then stored it in the freezer for proof. So a world record here in strawberries, the biggest strawberry ever grown in the world, comes from Israel. The previous record was a Japanese strawberry, which weighed 250 grams, harvested in 2015. Israel, again, advancements in agriculture. And if you are a BDS, anti-Israel hater, do not eat Israeli strawberries. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with this biggest strawberry in the world. If they just save it, if they're going to, you know, take a fork, a knife and cut into it, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. But uh, stay away from Israeli strawberries if you're a hater. And here's another story also related to agriculture. Israel 21C reports that a company called Green Eye Technologies is reducing herbicide use by distinguishing weeds from crops using AI powered smart sprayers for soy and corn growers. In other words, farmers are able are able now to differentiate between crops and weeds in their fields using this green eye software and technology and cameras and whatnot, able to cut costs and only spray uh, the weeds when they want to spray the weeds and not the fruits. Um, Technology created here in Israel and I'm sure very very soon we'll be helping farmers all over the world. I know a lot of companies and farms in America utilizing Israeli Um, agriculture technology and here's just another example and if again if you're a BDS anti-Israel hater and you're a farmer or you know someone who's a farmer um, or you're invested in the farming industry in the U.S. do not be a hypocrite do not buy any of this green eye AI enabled precision technology or you will be a hypocrite stick to your stick to your guns there you Israel haters don't take advantage of of the fact that Israel's improving the world in so many different areas, agricultural, uh, agriculture, medical technologies, and so many other areas of the world. Anyway, that's going to do it for today's show. My name is Josh Haston. This has been another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com for the 21st of February, 2022, the 20th of Adar, Aleph 5782. Get in touch with me during the week. Josh at the landofisrael.com on Facebook, Joshua Haston or Josh Haston Israel. Journalism on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Most importantly, everyone out there in the wonderful, wonderful world of ours, be safe. Be safe. Hope to speak to you again next Monday. I don't think I even mentioned that I'm coming to you once again from Jerusalem, Israel's capital, just outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem here on a beautiful Monday in the Holy Land. Be safe, everyone. Have a great week. Shalom, shalom. For the eternal capital of the Jewish people and the state of Israel, Jerusalem. The year is 1981. Menachem Begin is prime minister. Ronald Reagan is president. And Saddam Hussein has a nuclear reactor in Iraq. Israel has nothing to apologize for. We decided to act now, before it is too late. We shall defend our people with all the means at our disposal. Take a deep dive into Israel's strike on the Osirak nuclear reactor, the story of Ilan Ramon, and the world reaction to this dramatic event in Israeli history. And I said to the president, before this is over, we'll be on our knees thanking God Israel did what it did. That's The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.